us. We have been on a journey for the last six months uh, as a community that our leadership team had taken some time to start to dream, but wanted to invite you into the process. One, they valued transparency, but also they knew that we are better together. And so we shared some ideas with you, and then we invited you to share your ideas. And we had so many ideas. We had more than 60 ideas shared. And it has been this process that we have been calling what it is to reimagine church. And that has been an, an exploration for us. And we wanted to really take the time to be curious, to be curious about what God was calling us into, to be curious, not critical, which is often the form we can take when we start to dream as we start to shut down things because we, we start to think about all the logistics and going, oh, well, that's going to cost a lot of money or that's going to take a lot of manpower. But we wanted to be curious. And, and I'm all for honest conversation. I am all for naming what reality is. And that is a characteristic of a leader, is to recognize what is reality, but also where can we go? Where is God leading us? Where can we dream? And I want us to have more curiosity about the situation that we are in as a church and the circumstances we are in, whatever they may be, as well as where we want to go. And that is a beautiful thing to kind of contemplate. And my hope in this journey of faith that we are on together, that we have more curiosity than we have criticism, that we are curious every day about what God is doing, what God is leading us into, how God is shaping us as people to be more reflective of his love and grace, to look more and more like Christ. And too often we have more criticism that we hide as critical thinking. We have more criticism sometimes than we uh, have curiosity, and we hide that as critical thinking. Um, we have people who say, oh, you know, I'm just blunt, okay? But you're also putting a squash on what's going on here. Our goal sometimes isn't to better understand, but to criticize. And in criticism, we often think we are helping, but we are really trying to control and correct. Now, my husband just took a new job, and he was fascinated by the characteristic that they articulated that they looked for most in candidates and new hires. They wanted to see curiosity. And I thought that was so interesting, and that they are trying as a company to cultivate a culture of curiosity. And then John, who loves to show me videos from YouTube and reels that he finds in the midst of his social media scrolling, he shared this experiment that was done that I think really does illustrate sometimes what happens when we don't ask good questions, when we don't take the time to be curious. So take a moment and view this Scientists with us. placed four monkeys in a room with a stepladder upon which there was a bunch of bananas. Whenever a monkey went to climb the ladder, the other monkeys in the room were sprayed with cold water. After a while, each time a monkey went for the bananas, the others would attack it to prevent it from doing so. The monkeys learnt to never climb the ladder. But then, one of the monkeys was removed, and a new monkey wearing a raincoat was introduced. Naturally, this monkey went for the bananas, and it was customarily attacked and prevented from doing so by the others. This new monkey learnt not to climb the ladder. So when another monkey was substituted in and made for the bananas, all the others attacked it, including the one in the raincoat. 
despite the fact that it had never been sprayed with cold water. A third monkey was substituted in, and then a fourth final monkey. And still, whenever a monkey tried to climb the ladder, the others would prevent it from doing so, even though none of them had ever been sprayed with the cold water. When asked why this was, one monkey said, that's just the way it is. I want to find where they um, discovered a talking monkey, or maybe monkey as a metaphor for people. Uh, but I think it's, it's very true of sometimes the reality that we live in in organizations that we're a part of, in places that we work, and it can be true of churches. That's the way it is. That's the way we've always done it. We tried that once, and it is what it is, which is a more recent way for us to kind of dismiss and to say we can't change things. It's just the way it is. Or is it? And I think we use these comments to shut down curiosity, to look at the world through a very narrow lens. But the thing is that curiosity powers us to embrace humility, and it is a characteristic of being a Christ follower to have humility. So we've been doing this journey for the last six months, as I said, to reimagine church, to allow curiosity and creativity to guide us just in the process, because you know what? Ideas don't really cost us anything. Dreaming doesn't cost us anything. So some things in this process have become clear, and some things aren't necessarily clear yet, but I think we'll get there, and that's okay. I want to take some time this morning to explore one of those um, places that I think we're having some clarity. I want to share that with you today. And you know, when we sat down with all the ideas that you came up with, again, these were your ideas. And the whole leadership team, we sifted through them. We weighed them against our values and our mission and really started to ask, you know, what, what is God calling us to do in the midst of this? And we started to see some categories emerge. And it was so fascinating to me to see these categories, that there were relational social experiences, there were mission and service experiences named, there were student ministries, and growth and learning opportunities. So these four categories were kind of what permeated that list. And it was fascinating to me to take another look at this. You know, we've been taking this journey this summer really emphasizing relational and social experiences and wanting to determine then where else do we need to kind of pour into next? Well, in looking at this list, one of these things is not like the others. One of these things may seem jarring to you because you're like, well, that's not me. I'm not a student. I'm not a teenager. That doesn't have an impact on me. I'm not involved with teens. I don't want to be involved with teens. I didn't even want to be a teenager myself. So you're saying, I don't fall in that demographic. So that's just a very specific area, and that's not mine. So that doesn't apply to me. And I would say you're wrong, because we are a whole body as the church. And because it doesn't apply to you directly, it does. It applies to all of us. We are all shaped by this. And for a few reasons, I believe, we have segregated out our younger generations to our detriment. And I believe that um, the statistics are also playing a role in helping us to better understand because we are seeing churches nationally declining. And we are seeing actually faith practice overall declining. And 
it's an interesting thing to go, well, why is this? And I believe it has a lot to do with the fact that we do not have younger generations in the church. Now, we as a church, strangely enough, we have more younger generations than a lot of our colleagues, a lot of other churches. Now, some churches have way more younger generations than us. But we were at a meeting this week, and I was talking to some of our leadership about their experience with it. And they were kind of, they were going, strangely enough, there was a lot of old people, and we weren't the oldest ones in the room. I said, no, no, we're not. That on average, most of my colleagues in the area will say that they have an average age of 80. Average age, 80. Average. Okay? That's significant, even if you don't fully understand statistics. And so I think that part of the problem is that churches overall are in decline because a healthy percentage of our younger generations see themselves as religiously disaffiliated, unaffiliated. And I want to show you just a few things. Um, If you're a numbers person, this will be your bag. If you're not, don't worry, I won't stay here too long. But when we talk about generations, and we love to talk about generations right now as a culture, is there's the silent generation, which is the oldest generation that we have, a cohort. And that's people who are born 1968 to 1945 in general. Now, there's a lot of overlap sometimes in these. It is more seeing trends in the people who were born in that usually 15 to 17 year span. Okay, so then you have the baby boomers. These are, this is a lot of people. They call it the baby boomers because there were millions upon millions of babies born (laughs) in these years from 1946 to 1964. Everybody came back from the war and made some babies. Then you have Gen X, which is 1965 to 1980. Millennials, the people we love to pick on for their avocado toast, 1981 to 1995. But if you've never had avocado toast, shut up. It's delicious. That would be me. And I am not a millennial. I am firmly in the Gen X camp. Now, Gen Z are 1996 to about 2010. Again, these are kind of rough segments. And one of our board members, when I shared this, was like, I find it very fascinating that they group 13-year-olds with 27-year-olds. And it's because it's a span. But typically, these folks have all experienced very similar circumstances, whether economic, social, cultural events. And then Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha is about 2011 to now. They are the youngest demographic. And of those generations, those cohorts, Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z are missing from church at greater numbers than any other generation. I leave out Gen Alpha because most of them can't drive, and most of their parents are Gen X, Millennial, or Gen Z. So looking at this and kind of understanding where we stand, we sit with this. What does it mean to be religiously unaffiliated? It means that you have no faith. doesn't matter if it's Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim. There is no faith. Religiously unaffiliated. And this is often by choice. For Gen Z, it is about 34% of their population. 29% of millennials identify as religiously unaffiliated. And 25% of Gen X identify as religiously unaffiliated. So as we get into the younger generations, more and more are saying, I want nothing to do with religion or faith. Now, for our older generations, fewer than one in five, 18%, um, for baby boomers, and only 9% of the silent generation identify themselves as religiously unaffiliated. See, 
And the thing is, it is across cultures. So this is not just a Christian phenomenon. This is across cultures. I think this is a cultural phenomenon that we are experiencing as Christians. And so across cultures, it's interesting, though, a majority of the turning point for young people is when they graduate high school, that 50% of them will kind of turn away from their faith. They will drift from God. They will drift from their faith community. And they often don't return. Or if they do, so of that 50%, only half will return. So right off the bat, we're losing about 25% of our young people as soon as they graduate high school. I find that interesting and disheartening. And so as we look at this and kind of think about what does this mean for us as a faith community, what does this mean for us as Church in the Wall, it matters um, in a lot of ways. There are a variety of things it matters in. One of the things is that um, the church is aging out. We all die. We're dying. And we don't have younger people coming in. So naturally, we're going to shrink. And looking at the overall church engagement, there is a lack of young people overall. Dramatically so. But even more so, it matters because our mission, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This comes to us from Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There are a whole bunch of people out there, younger generation, who have never heard the gospel in a way that is real and tangible. They've never experienced, maybe I should say that, not heard, but experienced the gospel in a real, tangible way that is life-changing. And so thinking about, okay, really, for me, it's not so much, oh, churches are declining. It's that we have lost sight of our mission. We have ignored entire generations to our detriment. It's kind of like we stopped making disciples after we got the boomer model. We didn't invest anymore in making disciples so much. Our churches reflect that lack of attention. And the thing is, there is this beautiful reciprocal relationship that happens when we invest ourselves. Invest ourselves. I'm very intentional of using this word, ourselves. We invest ourselves on purpose in younger generations. Not only do we see them come alive in faith, the church community benefits. People who are way smarter than me, who spend a lot more time studying and evaluating demographics and statistics, have taken a look at churches that have invested in younger generations and have seen that pay off in a way. That they actually have this beautiful thing that happens across the board of the church. The overall health of the church actually improves when they prioritize younger generations. So what is good for younger generations is good for all of us. Because they see more service, they see more excitement about engaging in service, they have more passion overall in the church. Their passion is infectious. They'll actually start to see more innovation, more willingness to try new things. Often youth ministry is the one that leads the creativity in a church. But when that is a value overall, it spreads throughout the church itself. And so these churches that have turned themselves, turned their attention to prioritizing younger generations have actually seen the overall health of their church improve. It's so fascinating to me um, that you know, when we release young people into faith and service, amazing things happen. I've seen it on mission trips with teenagers. I've seen it in this church with a young woman who started our nursery. 
Did you know our nursery was started by a 16-year-old? Yeah. That child is now, you know, moving into her career and in med school and doing great things, but we got to be a small part of her story because we gave her permission and authority to lead. That is what happens when churches invest in younger generations. And we've always had a heart for young people. We have always done ministry to children. I think one of our, our biggest, you know, investments sometimes in younger people is our work with the Susanna Wesley School in Annapur, Mexico, a school that serves children across the, across the border from us. So we have a heart for this, but what does this look like overall for us? What does this look like for us as a church, as church in the mall, to turn our attention to younger generations? Well, first, it's not only our mission to make disciples, but I think we see some clear examples in Scripture. We see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. This is Paul's words to a young man named Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. This is a call within Scripture to invest in young people given to us through a very real-life concrete example. Timothy, he had these faithful influences of his mother and his grandmother and his growth. But he also had Paul who mentored him. And I think this is a beautiful way to show how family and church can work together. How family and other disciples can cultivate the faith of young people and to actually release them into leadership. That writing to him, you are young. I acknowledge you're young, Timothy, but don't let anybody look down on you for it. You are just as qualified to be here. And this is the thing. I think, you know, kind of looking at it, yes, you're young, but you have so much to offer the church. And so often we wait for them to grow up. We think, oh, when they're a certain age, then they'll be of use to us. But right now we just think they're cute. We'd like to parade them out at Christmas and have them sing some carols for us or do, you know, something else very cute. But otherwise, send them back across the hall. Now, I don't believe that that is our heart for children, but I've seen this so often in churches that we don't want to deal with them until we think they're old enough. But the thing about our faith, faith is not about age. Our faith is about maturity. And I've seen a mature faith in some of our high schoolers more so than some of our adults because they have allowed themselves to be open to the leading of God in ways that sometimes adults are not. Because while Timothy was a young man in years, he was mature in faith, enough that Paul set him loose to lead. Now, yes, often maturity and age do correlate. There's something to be said for living so many years, for having so many different experiences in life. And many of us hold a lot of wisdom, sometimes from the mistakes that we made more than the successes we've had. And young people need to experience that through us. We have a duty to pass down that which we have received. We have a responsibility because of the mission, but also because of the grace and the joy and the love that we have received from God himself. What we have experienced was not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of the world. Why wouldn't we share that with others? And just as Timothy received guidance and encouragement from Paul, so do younger generations need our encouragement and our support. Our faith is not be meant to be kept to ourselves. And in this rapidly changing world, this world is sometimes really scary because it's so fast. And younger generations are facing challenges and obstacles that we could have never imagined. 
I did not go to high school and have to deal with social media. I cannot imagine if all my mistakes had the potential to be broadcast virally on video throughout the world. That is a very different climate to live in in the world. And that's just one example. So young people need us to encourage them. And sometimes we look at this world and we think, well, it's really hard. I don't get it. I don't get technology. I don't get young people. They watch really weird things. And I'm sure that your parents said the same thing about you. What did many generations have to talk about with Elvis Presley or the Beatles and the horror that there was in that? It's a generational thing. Our young folks need our guidance, our encouragement, our support, not our excuses for not engaging in them. They need us to be their champions as they navigate really uncertain waters, even if they push back on us, and they will. That's the nature of it. But they need us to stand strong with them. They need, yes, sometimes our advice, but they always need our empathy and compassion. They need us to see them as our neighbor, not our nuisance. We are called to love our neighbor. We need to start seeing younger generations as truly our neighbors, not nuisances. And so in this verse from 1 Timothy, we see, yes, he encourages them not to let, let them look down on him because of his youth, but also he gets to set an example. He gets to set an example. There is something powerful in seeing our young people lead. There's something powerful in hearing their testimonies of how God is working in their lives. Again, that reciprocal relationship. Not only are we going to pour into young people, but they're going to give back in ways that we can't imagine, but things that we desperately need. Our lives are living testimonies. That is what it is to testify. It is not giving the absolute correct theological explanation for faith. It is saying, I experience this through God. We share of our experiences. We share of who we are. And I think for us, sometimes we need to see that real living faith lived out with all its flaws, all its mistakes, on display at times, because then we know it's real. We know it's true. We see faith in action, not just hear about it. The words and the actions have to go together. And this is why I harped on earlier about investing ourselves. Investing ourselves, because so, so often we are tempted to do this. And I get it. It is so much easier to sometimes go, let's outsource this. Let's have somebody else tackle this because I don't think I am equipped for this. It may not be. But let's not outsource relationship. See, so often we hire people to do the work, right? And there's something to be said for hiring a leader to invest and mentor other leaders. But so often we hire someone just to do all the work for us. You do that with home repair. You do not do that in ministry. We build sometimes, even within our buildings, these extravagant playgrounds as entertainment for our youth. We give them everything but our time. We give them everything but ourselves. And that is what they most need. They most need relationship. They need our time in relationship. We have a relational God. This is how our faith is transmitted. It is transmitted relationally. And this is a verse that I come back to again and again. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. This is Paul writing to this community at Thessalonica. So we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It's so much easier to talk at people than to relate to people. It is way easier to do that. 
isn't it? And I think that's why we lean into that more so than the messiness and the lack of control that we have in relationships. But that is where God works. God works in the mess. God works in the awkwardness. And it becomes something so beautiful and gracious to experience. Paul expressing this affection, this willingness to not only talk about God with people, but to show God through his relationship with them. We ourselves should be ready to share our lives, to share our lives, yes, with younger generations, all generations. And it means not only teaching them, but spending time with them, listening to their concerns without eye rolls. That's really hard not to go, that's your biggest problem, sweetheart. It is. We were all there once, showing them the love of Christ through our attention, our care, our concern. What makes the gospel real isn't a convincing argument so much as a convincing relationship. The one you have with Christ and the one that you have with them. That is the convincing relationship. The one that you have with Christ and the one that you have with them. In studies of churches that are actually doing this well, I thought this was so fascinating. What they found to engage younger generations. And again, this goes back to my, we're more willing to sometimes invest our resources than ourselves. Is that this, they found this. This is what doesn't matter, but so often we think it does. Doesn't matter the size of the church, so size doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you have a trendy location, though I do like that we have a really cool space. It doesn't hurt, but it's not an important critical factor. What doesn't matter is being cool or hip. Doesn't matter if you have a big modern building or a huge budget. Now, I will say those things can help, but they're not required. What does matter is for younger generations to feel at home that there is a relational worth, warmth there that they feel like they are in relationship with the community, that the church itself makes younger generations a priority. And I want to remind us again that church has nothing to do with the building and everything to do with the people. So if we as the church, the people, the gathering, are willing to invest ourselves in younger generations, it will change the dynamic. So, yes, as a church... Our leadership has decided that we are going to align some of our resources to make reaching out to younger generations a priority. We are moving towards that. Yes, there's going to be a financial cost to it, but it has more to do with music ministry than it does with younger generations. I shared this last week, and I'll, I'll share it again, that we are moving towards this direction to, you know, we've realized over the last year, that we had a lack of volunteers in our music ministry for a variety of reasons. And because I do not play an instrument, you do not want me leading you musically. Trust me on this. I asked Kevin to step into that role for the majority of the Sundays. Tom and Aaron are wonderful members of our community and I love them, but they are not available for the majority of Sundays. So Kevin has been filling in that role for us, but that has also taken him away from pouring into younger generations, pouring into young people. And relying on Kevin to lead us in that area is a, is a temporary solution. And it's taken him away, like I said, from newly assigned duties to care for youth, students, teens, whatever you want to call them, 
in our community as well as the larger community. Now, I say this, and I've said it, and I'll say it again. Kevin's a good musician. He's a great, he is an exceptional pastor, in particular to younger generations. If you have never seen him in that role, it's shocking, not because you don't expect it from him, but because it is almost seeing magic. My husband, a few weeks ago, went to gather our children for communion to come back over. And he told me this later on after church. He's like, can, can we teach people to do what Kevin was doing on Sunday with those teens? I said, yes and no. Yes, a lot of those skills can be taught. And then there is just his natural affinity for it. I want to release him to do that more. And today you got to see a little bit of a demonstration of what we're doing in the inner room. Kevin's going to lead us in music in the beginning, and then he's going to hustle over there with our younger generations to teach and encourage them. That is our temporary solution. We are planning to hire someone to lead music. And so right now he's doing a little bit of a double duty. Remember, he is part-time. He's 20 hours here. So doing music and this bit with youth, that, that takes up his time. I want to free his time to do more of what he is great at, what he is exceptional at. So this is our dream. And right now we are limited in our dream until we free Kevin from music. And this is a goal, by the way, that is bigger than just moving some responsibilities around. Because like I said, we want to invest ourselves Speaking not in the royal, I'm speaking we as this community called Church in the Mall. We want to invest ourselves in younger generations. And I want Kevin to lead us in that. But we all have a piece to play in this. This is not about putting Kevin into a position to be the hired gun, to be the only one who works with you. That's very limiting. He's one person. I don't know if you realize that, but he's one person. So automatically, there is there's a natural limit. But yes, we want him to mentor the youth in our community. We want him to mentor the youth in our church. We want him to mentor adults to also mentor youth. Because this isn't just about caring for our generation, younger generations. It's caring for all the generations to care for each other. This is a whole church task. This is a y'all moment. Timothy had his mother and his grandmother, and he had Paul, and probably other mentors as well, who encouraged him in his faith that led him into leadership. Students need as many champions as they can get. They need to know that they belong here, and you play a significant role in that. It's not just what Kevin and I do. It's not just what small group leaders do or Sunday school leaders do. It is what we all do to welcome younger generations into our midst, to care for them. They need folks to intentionally invest in their faith development. And I believe, I believe there are some mentors out there. You may just not know it yet, but I have a feeling the Holy Spirit's going to work on you. This isn't a contract job that we are doling out to Kevin or anyone else. This is not something we are outsourcing. The church body is here to partner with families in all areas of life, to nurture students in their faith, because the reality is they're the church now. They want people who are approachable and willing to listen, don't you? So often we think they're an entirely different animal. Yes, they're adolescents. Yes, their frontal lobes aren't full, fully formed yet. 
but they need us to walk alongside them in that journey, not only in maturity of body, but also maturity of spirit. They need folks who genuinely care about them, who genuinely care about them, who pay attention to them, who, who give them the relationship and give them the time and the patience that relationships require. It's a way of living out that commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves. Treat them as neighbors, not as nuisances. And regardless if you step into a formal role with younger generations, regardless of this, we all are responsible and we all need to be engaged in this effort. We are all responsible for the culture here. Culture always eats strategy for breakfast. It's its favorite breakfast. So let's make sure our culture is one that invites all generations in, listens to all generations, encourages all generations, empowers all generations. So I invite you to consider how you are going to engage in this effort to share with people not only the gospel, but your very life. So there are three things that I invite you to consider. One, I know we all can pray. We can all pray for this church. We can all pray for um, the younger generations. We can pray about where God is inviting you to serve. You can pray that we find the right people to fill in these spots, to lead in these areas. And maybe you are being called into service to step into ministry. And, and it may not be ministry to children or youth or young adults. It may not be that, but it may be you need to step in someplace that frees another to do that. We are all in this together. And then finally, maybe you need to consider how you can give to this, how you could financially support it. We are taking a faith step, one that we think is very strategic, but it's still a risk, you know? But I, I think we're not gonna gain anything by being safe. So maybe you are being called to invest in this financially. Maybe it's going to be a one-time gift. Maybe it's going to be a gentle increase in your giving overall to help support this. At minimum, we're going to, yes, be investing about $5,000 in a music ministry so that we can free Kevin to do younger generational ministry. I share this to be transparent. I share this not to guilt you into action. I want you to know, yes, what I said earlier, it doesn't matter the size of the church. It doesn't matter the budget. It matters about the people. It matters about the relationships we're willing to offer. This is a piece that maybe God is calling you to step into. We all need to be more curious, curious about where God is leading us, how God is calling us to care, to mentor, to disciple younger generations. We need to ask more questions, and we need to listen a whole lot more. The whole church needs to treat them like they are the church of today because they are. The whole church needs to treat them like they are the church of today because they are. The truth is every church needs young people and we need older people. We need all generations. We need the beauty and the diversity of creation in its fullness here. Their passion enriches our experience and our wisdom is something that can nurture them. Their curiosity that they bring to scripture is amazing and forces us to ask hard questions of ourselves as well as to offer them the steadfast trust that we have experienced in life of walking with God for decades. This helps us keep ourselves fresh and meaningful. It doesn't mean that we change the gospel, but sometimes how we experience the gospel will change. Young people need a thriving church 
and a thriving church both grounds them in community and then sends them out to serve. My prayer is that we, that we are that church. Amen.